the future may be uncertain for us, but not for God. Pastor Xavier Reese with The Simple Truth. The parable has to do with prayer at the time of the second coming. Jesus said those saved during the seven-year tribulation are to be praying, looking for the second coming. Now, certainly we're praying, looking for the Lord coming for us in the rapture, but we also know that He's coming in the second coming. We're coming back with Him, okay? That men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Getting comfortable is fine if you're getting ready for bed, but not when your job requires you to stay alert. Today, it seems as if too many Christians are letting their guard down and getting a little too cozy in the world. Well, with this in mind, Pastor Xavier takes us back to the Gospel of Luke as he shares the importance of being on the alert and staying attentive to the kingdom of God, and especially the simple truths of the second coming. Let's listen. Luke 18, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8, and the message is entitled, Confidence in a Just God. So what we want to do is study the parable of the unjust judge here through a threefold lens. Let me read our text. 18, 1 through 8, he says, Then he spoke a parable to them, and that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying there was a certain city, a judge, who did not fear God nor regard men. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterwards... He said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this woman troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? The parable of the unjust judge unfolds for us in three movements, or you can look at it through three lenses. First, we want to look at the context of the parable. Context is always foundational. Then we'll move to the content of the parable, and we'll finish up by looking at the contrast of the parable, which is the proper interpretation. The context of the parable comes first. Notice the parable is um, a continuation of the previous chapter. He says, then he spoke a parable to them, them as the disciples. The chapter of division is most unfortunate because often the parable is divorced from this context of the second coming. That's the context. Jesus has warned in the previous chapter, in chapter 17, verse 22, and 26 and 27, he told his disciples, warned them about the second coming, that it would be like the days of Noah, it would be life as usual, and then the judgment came. And so he's still talking to his disciples. It's still the context of the second coming, and we'll point this out even in, in the verses ahead of us. Now, in chapter 17... Verse 28 to 29, Jesus warned his disciples that it would also be like the days of Lot. It would be life as usual, and then, as you know, uh, rain and fire brimstone came down and, and destroyed them. And so the application, 1730, it says so in the second coming. Even so, will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed? It's the second coming. 
Now, the last three and a half years of the great tribulation of those seven years will be one of perilous times such as has never been before. Uh, the end of chapter 17, verse 31, 33 is very clear on this and others. Uh, but there in 31 to 33, specifically in 31, material things at that time will be futile for survival and there will be no place to run. The Lord is coming back to judge the world. The individuals are those that are living again in the last half of this seven-year tribulation. They have not taken the mark of the beast. They're the exception. The majority of the world does. And Jesus, then as he returns, he sets up the kingdom. The only way to be safe and saved is to trust Jesus, even if it means losing your life to enter the kingdom. Verse 33 makes that very clear. So he's talking about those who are on the earth prior to his second coming. That's the context. Now, the end of the seven years of tribulation will culminate in the judgment at his second coming, as we've seen before. And in verse 34 down to 37, he makes that very, very clear. Chapter of the vision, again, is unfortunate. Take note in 34 and 36 that this event takes place throughout the world at the same time, describing it in different time zones, day and night. So in other words, that judgment comes, so he returns in one day, and the different things. My son's in Afghanistan right now. It is, if it's 1230, it's 1 o'clock in the morning over there. Right here is day. He's completely on the other side of the world, okay? It's dark there. Some say that this refers to the rapture. But the judgment is the context. The ones who are taken are taken for judgment in these verses 34 to 36. And the one left, they enter the kingdom. The rapture is not in here. It's completely out of context. This is the second coming. The parable was spoken to illustrate then a specific truth about the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's the context, okay? So you've got to be a good spiritual hound dog to stay on the trail. Don't go up rabbit trails. All parables, as you know, they either do one of two things, compare or contrast. That's all they do. All parables have one punchline, one truth being taught. It can be in a verse. It can be in two. It'll be real evident. It'll stand out. This parable usually is taught that you need to be persistent in prayer to have God answer. It's wrong, and I'm going to show you, Okay? Remember the word parable means uh, to come alongside or, or next to it. Para, alongside, boldly, a ball to throw, okay? So you take something of life, the judge and this widow coming for to plead her case. A real scenario. Taking something you do know, putting it next to something you don't know, and then putting it next to what you do know, now you'll know what you didn't know. That's what a parable is, okay? It sheds light on it. Now... The parable has to do with prayer at the time of the second coming then. Look at the second part of verse 1. That men always ought to pray and not lose heart. The Lord Jesus provided the key to those on earth prior to his return. The Lord Jesus himself stated the context of the parable was the second coming. Look at verse 8. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes... Will he really find faith on the earth? That's the second coming. All right? So stay on the second coming. That's the context. Jesus said those saved during the seven-year tribulation are to be praying, looking for the second coming. 
Now, certainly we're praying, looking for the Lord coming for us in the rapture, but we also know that he's coming in the second coming. We'll come back with him, okay? Now, the word pray is one of many words that are used for prayer. This word is used for prayer in general with the idea of worship and reverence, but unlike like the word supplication, this word is always used of God, never of man. The noun form is used by Jesus in the cleansing of the temple in Matthew 21, 13. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer because they were allowing people to cut through the temple for money and also merchandising the people. It's also used uh, for the practice of the early church. They continued in one accord in prayer, Acts 1, 14 and 2, 42. So the personal responsibility is indicated by the phrase always ought. It's not a suggestion, a command. The word ought means must or necessary as something owed or due, an obligation. Christians are to pray. This is our obligation. This is our duty. This is our, should be our desire to seek the Lord constantly. The same word is used by Jesus when he said in John 3, 3 to Nicodemus, you must be born again. No option. It's not a suggestion. This is referring to the nature of the time, the time of trouble such as never has been or ever will be, the great tribulation. Notice the word always. It means at all time. You may think it's irrelevant, but it's key to the scripture and the parable because of the wrong interpretation. The word here always has the idea and intent not of persistency, but rather constancy and use by the father of the prodigal son for the other son. He said, son, you are ever, there's the word, with me, Luke 15, 31. Doesn't mean he was with him persistently. It means constant, okay? Now, this indicating a manner and character of lifestyle, praying to God, depending, having confidence in him. The Jews pray three times a day. So we as Christians should be praying all the time. Again, the context is for those waiting for the coming of Christ. We certainly can um, teach the principle for all Christians to pray constantly, but the context is for the tribulation saints. So in principle, yes, we're to do it, but the context is very, very specific. Now, this is confirmed as the Lord Jesus pronounced the warning to those who would be on earth in the last days. Listen to the words, and not lose heart. The idea is to be wearied out, giving up, and discouraged completely. The word appears five times in the New Testament for believers to not be weary or faint in the things of life or in doing good. 2 Corinthians 4, 1, 16, Galatians 6, 9, Ephesians 3.13, and 2 Thessalonians 3.13. The warning is clear by the word of Jesus. If they pray constantly, they will not lose heart and be discouraged. If they do not pray constantly, they will lose heart and be discouraged. Again, in principle, we can apply it to all believers, but the context is the specific time of the tribulation period. Jesus said this about prayer. Mark 14, 38. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit truly is willing, or ready, but the flesh 
is weak. Prayer is a matter of our spirit, not our flesh. Religious prayer of the flesh says, look at me. Prayer, this true prayer of the Lord with our spirit as we communicate with him is a mutual agreement, the direction of his spirit by his word, and there is his will being done. His will is found in his word, so you need to know the word of God. You'll know what to pray for, what not to pray for. you know how to pray. It's real simple. We're to pray constantly and consistently. Pray without ceasing, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray without, with all, always, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to the, this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, Ephesians 6, 18. Prayer will open our eyes, allow us to see the things of God. Do not trust what you see, but what God reveals to you in and through his word as you pray. That's what you do. Not your feelings, not your emotions, not what other people tell you. Prayer protects me against anxiety, and yet we do everything until we have to pray. We're just not convinced that prayer works best. So I, gotta, I do everything I can. They, well, I'm like, well, let's pray. Nothing else left. Oh, really? Jesus said we are not to be weary or worried about the things of life, what we eat, what we drink, what we dress, and all that. And he gives us a lesson from the birds of the air and the lilies of the field in Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and then all these things shall be added unto you, he said. Paul taught that we are to be anxious for nothing, but in all things, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, and we're to make our request known to God, Philippians 4, 6. It's when you go in your closet. It's you and him, no one else. It's not for parading or anything. Everything, the small, the big things, the things of your marriage, the things of your children, things of the day, the things that are going on in this nation, in this country, everything. He gives us the result in Philippians 4, 7. He says the results of the peace of God, which surpass all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is what prayer does. We have plenty of examples throughout the scriptures. The context of the parable is the second coming. Very clear. Notice, secondly, we have the content now of the parable. The occasion presented by the parable presented a court case right out of the daily life of the days of Jesus. Verse 2 and 3. In two, the city and judge are not named. There was a certain city, a judge. This is during Herod's wicked reign, as you know. And he appointed these judges of the cities that were under his jurisdiction. And he was corrupt. Most of them were corrupt. They were to hear the cases, present the case, and bring justice. But rarely those things took place. Now the antagonist is presented by his godless character. Who did not fear God nor regard man. He didn't fear God. Now when you don't fear God, there's no breaks in your life. You do whatever you want. And you can play the, the part too. You, you move through it. This judge felt no accountability to God's authority for his actions in life. This judge did not think he would be judged by God one day for his life. He did not regard man for doing justice for man. Then the protagonist is presented by her destitute and injustice in verse 3. The widow had no husband to provide or protect her. Listen. It says, and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. The widow was not seeking retaliation or vengeance here. The word justice means vindicate me. 
to vindicate one's right and rectify the wrong done to her. This is what she's pleading, what is fair and just. The imperfect verb indicates that she kept on coming repeatedly, by the way. In verse 4, the beginning, notice the indication is that though this widow came to this judge often and repeatedly, he ignored her case, and he would not for a while. Just shined her on, indifferent. Now, we're not told the number of times she confronted him, nor the manner in which he responded to her, nor the length of time. Some think that perhaps he was attempting to extract a bribe from her, as much of the custom of that day was. In Acts 24, 26, Felix kept bringing Paul up before him, hoping to give him some money. Now, we're told all we need to know. It is simply this, that he refused to right the wrong that was done to her. That's the key thing. The consternation of the situation regarding the widow's persistency and refusal to go away caused the judge to get justice for this widow. Now, when you hear the word persistency, don't let it throw you off and think that that's the key. It isn't. That's what people have done with this parable. Notice the judge began to feel the pressure and anxiety of the widow's persistency, causing him to reflect on his first decision. But afterwards, he said, within himself. The judge considered the unyielding determination of this widow and spoke to himself silently. You've done that. I've done that. Most of the time, it's not good to talk to yourself. You're not good company. It's better to talk to God, okay? Because you give yourself some crazy advice. (laughs) There was only one option left here. He's already tried the one. The judge notice declared to himself that the reason he would get justice for this widow was not due to his change of mind about God or man. Though I do not fear God nor regard man. He still believes the same. But because he loves himself, he doesn't hold to his principles or whatever. If it's inconvenient, we just kind of just close one eye and do it. Who cares? The fear of God was not his motivation or reason for getting justice for this widow. He says it clearly. The care of this defenseless widow was not his motivation or reason to correct the injustice done to her. He says it clearly. Notice the judge declared to himself the reason he would get justice for her was that he, ready, cared for himself. He had reached the end of his patience, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. He did not want to experience any further personal embarrassment or inconvenience from the widow here, lest by her continual coming she weary me, present tense. She was quite a lady. She just kept coming. She would not go away. Notice thirdly, you have the contrast of the parable which is the correct interpretation. The common and usual interpretation of the parable is wrong. They make it a comparison. They make the judge to be God. 
All that the judge is, God is not. All that God is, the judge is not. The judge did not fear God nor regard man. God commands fear and regards the best for man. The judge used his power and authority to care for himself. God uses his power and authority for the care of sinners and the oppressed and the destitute. The judge is bound by his sin nature, used only for his own interest. God is bound by his perfect nature and attributes for the interest of others, sinners and saints. They take the punchline from verse 5, that the widow was persistent in her asking. Therefore, they say the parable teaches the believer must be persistent in prayer for God to answer. To make God out to be one who must be pestered to do what is just charges his holy justice. So you have to pray to God to remind him or to force him to punish evil? It's silly. But everybody teaches, the most, most majority of people teach that. It's a contrast. If you make it a, a comparison, then you make God out to be like that man. God is reluctant. He's hoping you go away. Are you willing to accept that interpretation? Of course not. They're both comparisons. God will act justly without anyone having to pray for perfect vindication. The correct interpretation of the parable is given by our Lord Jesus Christ himself, so there can be no mistake here. Verse 6 through 8. Look at 6. The Lord Jesus pointed out the key. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust said. Not what the woman said. Not the woman's persistent words. Nothing but the words the judge said to himself that he would do justice for her. His motive is irrelevant. It's the fact that he did justice. He vindicated her. The Lord Jesus gave the punchline, making the application in seven. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bear long with them? The question is a rhetorical one. There is only one possible answer. Yes, God will avenge his own elect, for he is righteous. The judge was unrighteous. God is just. The judge was unjust. The parable points back to the previous chapter, as we have shown, to illustrate the just and certain vindication of his elect in the great tribulation waiting for the second coming. Chapter 17, 22, and 24. Some of the elect will be praying confident and constant day and night to him, even though God bears long with them. I say some because the end of the last verse will show us that not all. Though all evil is not dealt with by God immediately, none will escape the evil done to believers in the great tribulation. God will execute perfect justice. The contrast of the parable is that God does not have to be wearied in prayer to execute justice at his second coming. The second coming is inevitable. The question is, will you be ready? 
That's the simple truth from today's study from the Gospel of Luke. And you can hear this important message again anytime online. By simply selecting today's date at the radio listings link, you'll find at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But there's still much more to come right here next time as well. However, in the meantime, you can always pick up your own copy of this message. And the title to ask for is Confidence in a Just God. It's available on CD as usual for only $4. Once again, you'll be asking for the message titled Confidence in a Just God. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. Do you know that believers are commanded to pray? Pastor Xavier Reese has the reasons why right here next time on Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 